We've been studying John in light of the reason of why it was written. And at the end of his purpose statement, in John chapter 20, he says that you might believe and have life in His name. And so that in John chapter 7 through 10, where we're at right now in this section, we're dealing with the who is the His? Who is Jesus? We're answering that question uh, over and over and over again as we work our way through this section of John chapter 7 to 10. And today, there is a specific question. Really, there's a few, but one specific question that we really want to wrestle with as well. How do we know that we are children of light, walking in light, and not in darkness? How do we know that? And what does Jesus mean when He says, I am the light of the world? We want to explore and unpack those questions and others this morning as we go into our text. We're going to be in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. John chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 12 through 20 today. John chapter 8, 12 to 20. Let's bow. Lord, we are together this morning as a body of Christ and we've gathered with anticipation that you're now ready to move and to work through the power of your word. And so, Father, we're going to entrust this time uh, to you. We know that you are faithful. We know that your word never returns void. You have a purpose and a plan for it. And today at Calvary Monument Bible Church at nine o'clock in the morning, you have a purpose and a plan for every single person you've brought into these walls. And as a body of Christ, now we come together, we open your word, and we reflect on the meaning of it, and we pray that you would use it to empower us, that you would use us to send us from here with a greater understanding of who you are as the light of the world. And Lord, that that knowledge may work its way out of our lives through the way that we're using our hands and our feet. That we might be better at loving you and better at loving, at loving others that you bring into our pathways as we go from this place today. Guide our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Now remember, this is immediately following the scenario of the woman who had been trapped or caught in adultery. Jesus speaks. Verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from, or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me 
nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. At the very beginning of this passage, we find one of the most powerful statements of all of Jesus' earthly ministry. He makes a few of these I am statements throughout his earthly ministry. John is very faithful to record them. This one is very powerful in particular. In fact, as I considered this text this week, I really, really wrestled with the idea of just solely camping in John chapter 8, verse 12. But I thought, boy, if I get in that habit, we'll be here. It'll be 10 or 15 years before we're out of John. So I thought we'd take the whole section. But you know, it's interesting, from the beginning of the Bible, we find that light is evidence of the power and the presence of God with us. Light is connected to the preservation and protection of the people of God. And we have to look no further than, we'll we'll trace it, starting in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Look at this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now there was a problem. Right from the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, but what's the problem? The earth was without form and void, and what do we have covering the face of the earth? Darkness. Darkness. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and in verse 3, God said, let there be light. Physical. In the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, physical light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. How about in the book of Exodus, the miraculous account of Jesus, of God leading His people. God is freeing His people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Exodus chapter 13, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night, what do we have? Light, a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Major events all throughout the Old Testament, all surrounded by light. Light is a powerful theme throughout the entirety of the Bible. When God gives the law to Moses, Moses is up in the mountain, Exodus chapter 34. He comes down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. And as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. When God established Israel, when He called His people together, when He formed them as a people, He formed them as a light to the nation. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be My servant? To raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you a light for the nations, that My salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You can also connect that theme throughout the Bible, light and salvation. It's all throughout the Bible. The very songs that the people were taught to sing, Psalm chapter 21, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Again, look at those themes connected. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm chapter 44, verse 3. By not their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face. For you delighted in them. The Word of God is equated with light. Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When God revealed the counsel of His will to the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, light always accompanied the revelation of God's will and the counsel of His will to the prophets. Look at Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. And I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it, fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire were gleaming metals. When the Lord describes His salvation to Habakkuk, the minor prophet, in the Bible. It is again accompanied with a description of light. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, and there He veiled His power. How about in the New Testament? What do we have in the New Testament Luke chapter 2, with the pronouncement of Jesus' birth, trace this pattern of light all throughout the entirety of the Bible with us. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord did what? Shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And friends, all of this comes to a beautiful crescendo at the very beginning of the book of John. John chapter 1, verse 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now watch this, this is so great. Genesis chapter 1, we have physical light, right? That physical light that we can see that God created that brought light to His entire creation. John chapter 1, we have the true light. Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And isn't it beautiful what Jesus does? One of Jesus' first encounters in all of the Bible was with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is mentioned three times in the Bible. The first time Jesus comes to him in John chapter 3. And what Jesus is going to do in that moment with Nicodemus is he is going to proclaim the gospel to Nicodemus. And it's accompanied by light. And this is the righteous judgment. Light has come into the world, but the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works for evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And finally, friends, as we sit here today, we all look forward to an eternal city of light. From beginning Genesis chapter 1 to end Revelation 
chapter 21, verses 23 to 24, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. I am the light of the world. By its light the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. One of the most powerful, one of the most familiar statements of Jesus right here at the beginning of John chapter 8 in verse 12. He is the light of the world. He is the light of the world for all of mankind and He has been this light from everlasting to everlasting. And there's another, a few observations we want to make about this statement. And one of them is we want to compare this statement in John chapter 8, verse 12, to what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Look at this comparison. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 7, 38, the one who believes in me. John 8, 12, the one who follows me. John 7, 38, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John 8, 12, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. A beautiful comparison just in two chapters between these two statements that Jesus makes. But there's something else for us to observe in this statement, and that this is an absolute truth statement by Jesus. This is not subjective. This is not speculative. It's not something that might be true. Jesus might be or might not be. No, it doesn't work that way. And friends, we live in a very pluralistic society today. You know, I was studying, just on Friday, I was studying the Bible with a group of football players in at the uh, Giant. Went to Giant. They have a little cafe there. And one of the guys, he says he has a friend at work that believes in God but doesn't believe in Jesus. He said, what do I do? He said, coach, what do I do? He tells me he believes in God, but he doesn't believe Jesus. He thinks Jesus was a good person, but doesn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And I said, well, is a good person a liar? And he said, no. I said, well, take him to John chapter 14, verse 6. What does Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, start there. Jesus said that about himself. I said, then go to John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And ask him if a good man is not a liar. And Jesus said of these things about himself. What does that mean about Jesus? He's not one of many lights. He's not a light in the world. He is definitively the light of the world. Singular. The light of the world. In a pluralistic society, friends, it's so important that we engage with people about who Jesus is. Many, many people will be open to talking to us about God, and maybe that's a good way to get into a conversation with somebody. But when we start talking to people about God, it's so important that we begin to direct the focus of the conversation towards who they understand and who they believe Jesus is. To be. Now, now think about this statement. If this statement is not true, this is probably the most arrogant thing that a person can say about themselves, right? I mean, could you imagine if one of your own children or somebody at your work stood up one day and looked at everybody and said, I am the light of the world. 
he'd probably throw a rock at him. What are you doing? Sit back down. No, you're not. You're not the light of the world. If my own child would stand up in my house and say this statement, I'd be disappointed. But you know, if it's absolutely true, then it's the most loving thing that could ever be said. I am the light of the world. And that light of Jesus gives us great hope as we live in this world today. And the question that we might ask at this point is, well, how do we know? Jesus says, uh, those who believe or those who follow will not walk in darkness, but walk in light. As we sit here today, many of us claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Many of us claim to have a personal relationship with God. How do we know that we are walking in light and not in darkness? How do we truly know that we are defined as children of light? It's a great question. It's one that we have to ask as we engage this text. And the answer, friends, is in the book of 1 John. Chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Church, if we are living in the light, children of the light, then we should come to be defined as children of love with a nature of love. That should be what characterizes us, what defines us, what qualifies us as we leave this building every Sunday, that we are going out into our communities, into our neighborhoods, into our families, into our jobs, into the marketplace, and our lives are being compelled by Christ. The behaviors of our lives are being compelled by Christ and motivated by love, that we are being defined as children of love with a nature of love. And we say that this is the vision of CNBC, that we're growing in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. And this is evidence that indeed, friends, if this is happening, then we can rest assured that we are children of light, walking in light. So who is Jesus? Summing this up, because we've been looking at this really since the beginning of the book, and it's the question that's being unpacked in chapters 7 through 10 here. He's the Word in John chapter 1. In John chapter 2, He's the new wine. In John chapter 3, the Savior of the world, as He speaks to Nicodemus. John chapter 4, with the woman at the well, just to review, He's the everlasting water. In John 5, He heals the man at the pool. He's the Sabbath healer. John 6, He's the ever-satisfying bread of life. John 7, He's the giver of the Spirit. And in John 8, He is the light of the world. Jesus came to earth to reveal the Father to us. To give us light. To be the light. And that is what He was doing every step along the way in His ministry. You know what's sad, friends? In spite of all of this, and in spite of this reality, there were still a people who were walking in darkness. Look back at John chapter 8, verse 13. Look at how the Pharisees respond to this statement by Jesus in verse 13. 
The Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. You know what perhaps the hardest part about this text, friends, in this section? What hit me the hardest? Really, I think it was on Tuesday when I was looking at this, and it was a scary reminder to me. And church, it should be a scary warning and a caution and a reminder for us. The people who were walking in darkness my whole life, I've always just thought that these are the people that are, you know, unsaved, carnal, living out in the world. And yes, that's true. But in this text, the people who are walking in darkness are the ones who by the community standards were considered the most spiritual the most religious, the religious elite, the people that most should have known, that most should have seen, uh, the, the people that should have been aware of what Jesus was saying, that should have been ready. These would have been, friends, the people who were showing up every Sunday morning by our standards today. And yet, they were walking in darkness. And we see evidence of this by the way that they try to use Jesus' words against Him. In verse 13, this is what they're doing. The Pharisees see a window of opportunity to strike back at Jesus. And they attempt to use His own words against Him. You remember Jesus' words in John chapter 5, verse 31. What does He say? He says, If I alone bear witness about Myself, My testimony is not true. So what are the Pharisees doing here? They're saying, you just said this. Your testimony is not true. You're bearing witness about yourself. Jesus says in, in 8.14 that He is able to bear witness about Himself. So what do we do with this? You know, some people, uh, some of our friends, maybe some of the people we work with in our community, they like to take the Bible and they like to show us apparent contradictions in the Bible. Well, this is one of them that we have to wrestle with. It looks like it's a, an apparent, quote-unquote, contradiction. What do we do? Jesus says, I, I can't bear witness about myself or my testimony is not true. And now Jesus says in John 8, 14, my testimony is true, even if I bear witness about myself. And the answer to this question, friends, it's so important because at the very heart of this matter lies the question of how do we come to know God? Is Jesus' life and testimony by itself enough for us to come to know God? Did Jesus come and reveal the Father, or did He need more? Was there more that was needed, along with the work of Him revealing the Father? Was it Jesus plus the corroboration and testimony of many others? John, in his writing, often uses this tool of these apparent contradictions to get his readers to give pause and think. He used this before. He uses it with the concept of judging throughout the book of John. Some of us as we sit here today, we remember passages that say, 
do not judge. I do not judge. And in other times, there's passages where Jesus says, judge with right judgment. These methods are used to make us pause, to make us think, and ask the question, what does Jesus mean? What is he saying here? The Pharisees aren't just using Jesus' own words against him here. They're leaning strongly on long-held rabbinical tradition. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 affirms that the testimony was only to be received if it was on the evidence of two to three witnesses. A single witness would not suffice. Jesus himself even leans into this later in the section in John chapter in, in verse 17. So let's resolve this matter. I think it's important that we do that this morning. Is Jesus' self-testimony true? The answer is yes. And is the self-testimony of Jesus alone enough for one to come to a knowledge of God? The answer is yes. We can say that this contradicts Jesus' statement in John chapter 5.31, but I believe, friends, that this is where we have to identify that context. When we study the Bible, we must study the Bible in context. And you can take John chapter 5.31 out of context and make it appear to be a contradiction to this statement. But the reality is, if we think back to what the issue was in John chapter 5, what had Jesus just done in John chapter 5? He had healed a man on what day? On the Sabbath day. Breaking the law. And they were pressing in against this. And what the writer of John, what John wants us to know in John chapter 5 is that according to the law, Jesus qualifies because his ministry is confirmed by other witnesses. That's what John wants us to know. In John chapter 5, legally, Jesus qualifies because his ministry is confirmed. And if you go back, if you flip back to John chapter 5, what you see in that chapter is you see the writer of John identifying the other witnesses who testify about Jesus. He talks about the Father. He talks about Scripture. He talks about Moses. Jesus had other witnesses. And so by the standards of the law, he qualified. However, John chapter 8 is making it very clear, church and friends, different. That Jesus' identity is not dependent on the law or these witnesses. This is where John 8.14 comes to play. Jesus is the light of the world. And He is this light by the reality of His own identity. He is fully God. He needs no one to testify about that. He is who He is because He knows Himself perfectly and He knows man perfectly. John chapter 2, the end of John chapter 2 confirms that Jesus knows what was in man's heart. He knows man perfectly. And in John chapter 8, we find He knows Himself perfectly. And so in John chapter 5, the witnesses are important. It's important to see that from a legal point of view, from the Pharisees' mind, needing two or three witnesses to confirm the identity of Jesus, that there are other witnesses that confirm His identity. And so legally, John chapter 5, His testimony is acceptable. But John chapter 8 reminds us that it's not dependent on those things. Not dependent who he is is not dependent on anything 
or anyone. Jesus' testimony is true because He is fully God. And as fully God, He is able to testify about Himself because He has perfect knowledge of the Father. Verses 15 and 16 of our text. You look down. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. See, the Pharisees are measuring their judgment by what they saw. They're judging according to the flesh, according to the physical standards set forth in the law. This was the entire business of the Pharisees. They were a one-stop shop of judgment. If you need to feel judged, just go and talk to a Pharisee. You would have felt pretty bad about yourself, probably, after meeting with them. While Jesus was on earth, He judged no one. And even if He would have, His judgment would have been true and right because He would have been judging on the authority of God and in accordance with the Father. Because yes, He was fully man, but we must never forget that He was also fully God. While on earth. The law did not govern or dictate the behavior of Jesus. Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the law. He was not bound to its human interpretations. He existed and operated apart from the human traditions and interpretations of the law. I love how he says this in verse 17. Look at how he says this. How does he say this? It's so different, right? In your law. In your law. In other words, at this point, they have butchered it so much, they have put their own interpretations and misapplications and and misunderstandings of it out so far ahead that he's identifying it now as their law. It no longer looks anything like the law that was given to Moses back in Exodus. Twisted it, they've corrupted it, they've manipulated it for their own gain. In your law, it says, they had distorted it beyond the purposes for which it was given. And even by their own faulty and inadequate view and application of the law, Jesus' testimony still qualified because it was not He alone that was bearing witness about Himself, but also the Father who sent Him. Isn't that beautiful? Look at verses 19 to 20 in our text. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? What are they doing here? They're saying, look, Jesus, if if you're saying that you have a witness who can bear testimony that what you're telling us is true, let him come forth. Bring him. We'd love to question him and talk to him. And by the very asking of this question, they clearly come to define what Jesus already knew to be so true about them. Where were their eyes? Where were their minds? They were on the things of this earth. Set your mind on the things above, friends, not on the things of this earth. Jesus responds, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. 
these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. You see, Jesus did have someone else that was bearing witness to him, that was testifying for him. It was indeed his Father. God sent Jesus as the light of the world. Friends, as we sit here today, there's incredible hope for us in this because many of us will leave this place today and tomorrow morning we'll enter into a mission field. Most of us, all of us, the pathways, the places that God calls us to every day are where He intends for us to be a light because the light of the world is dwelling with us. He is with us. And so as we go to the places that we go, we are to be this light in these places, representing the reality of what Jesus has done, how He's transformed us, how He's changed us, and the great hope that He gives us. And one of the greatest ways that we display this hope to our friends, especially in this culture today, is by being thankful and being loving and being hopeful. Because I don't know about you, but boy, it can get depressing out there in any given week. Can it not? There's a lot of darkness out there in the world. There's a lot of what-ifs. There's a lot of oh-mys. There's a lot of why is this happening? What's going on? I don't understand. It's not clear. I'm scared. I can't do this. I can't do that. I feel paralyzed. But friends, we have the light of the world. We're sitting in this cafe at Giant. And as we're sitting here, Studying the Bible on Friday, I noticed in the corner there was an Amishman. And we were there for about an hour and a half. And we were studying John chapter 3 this week. And we don't come with an agenda. We let the Lord direct our time together. And uh, He directed us into John chapter 3 this week. And so that's where we were studying. And we were sitting there for an hour and a half reading John chapter 3. And this man did not move an inch from his seat. Completely locked in. And as we were winding down our study, we were getting up. I had a list of groceries while I was at Giant. I had to go get after I was done. Joe walked over to the man who was in the corner and said, it looked like you were paying attention to what we were talking about here for the past hour and a half. And he says, I absolutely was. He said, I I have never heard the Bible unpacked and talked about in that way my entire life. And he said, I don't know who you are. He said, I've talked to Jehovah's Witnesses. I've talked to people of the Catholic faith. I've talked to people in my own Amish order. And I have never heard the Bible explained that way. Ever. He said, as he sat there, he he started to make all these excuses about things. And and it was really interesting. Joe, Joe looked at him and he said, you know, your Amish rules and and the way of doing things, they're not going to work. And he said, what do you mean by that? And he said, let me ask you one question as you go today. And then he invited him to come back this Friday and join us. He said, what's more important? Following the rules or loving Jesus? And he sent him out. And I believe this man will come back next week. I really do. It was amazing. He was sitting there. Uh, he, he was, you could tell he was dialed in the whole time at another table across the way. We had some guys with us from the team and we didn't know if it would be appropriate to invite him over not knowing um, where he might come from uh, and what he might be doing 
but it was amazing. And it's a testimony to the power of the light. And the light is shined the brightest when we come from the truth of God's Word. And friends, when we open up the Bible and we read the Bible together, it's powerful. And God can use it to do wonderfully mighty things, some that we might not even know or recognize. And one of the things we're going to be, uh, begin doing, if you look at your note guide this morning, on the back of your note guide, we're going to be begin including, uh, for every week, every Sunday, we're going to be, uh, begin including a discussion guide uh, for you that you may perhaps uh, want to use in your own personal life. Maybe you want to sit together at the family table and, and over dinner or over breakfast, break down the message a little bit further, go into the text. You'll notice we put references in the text for you. But maybe, maybe for each person in here, there's someone in your life that you know the Lord has directed into your life so that you can be a light to that person. There's a relationship. It could be one of your parents. It could be a neighbor. It could be a co-worker, someone at work. But you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that person is in your life for a purpose and a reason and you feel like you can truly shine the light of Jesus, then maybe you can use this in that sort of relationship. Invite him for a cup of coffee. Take, a, take the paper along. Say, hey, we're studying the book of John in church on Sunday morning. We looked at John chapter 8, verse 12 on Sunday. Jesus says he's the light of the world. What do you think he meant when he said that? Well, let, let's read it together. And let the Lord direct your time together. He'll do it, friends. He'll do the work. He's the light. He doesn't need us to help him be the light. He is the light of the world. And he'll use his word in a powerful way in people's lives as we allow him to do so, as we are open to stepping into those opportunities that he's placed in our pathways. Well, we have a powerful and exciting way to celebrate this today because we don't plan these things. This is the way the Lord works this. I mean, we planned the commissioning, but I didn't plan that we were going to be in John chapter 12 this week. That was directed by the Lord. But we have a team of students with us here today that are getting ready to go to Hart Butte, Montana to minister to the Blackfeet tribe. And, and what an application to be the light, to go carrying the light of the world with them and to minister uh, to this